following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today, we are starting a new series where we're talking about financial faithfulness. That's right, it's a series about money and faith, and it is now too late for you to have skipped church today. (laughs) We actually scheduled this series quite some time ago, but it wasn't until the last few weeks that I began to plan for it. And what I found to my surprise, was that I actually have a lot more to say about this topic than I thought maybe I would. Um, The truth is, I don't like preaching about this topic any more than many people like hearing sermons about this topic. But the leadership team was fairly clear at our retreat last spring that this is something that we need to talk about. And so uh, I agreed reluctantly uh, to give us a series of sermons about it, just two actually. But as I said, once I started the preparation, not only did I realize that uh, this isn't so bad after all, I'm actually excited about this topic, but I have a lot more to say about it than I can say possibly in two weeks. So uh, I think it's fairly likely that we will return to this topic probably in June, at the very end of our ministry year, which runs July to June, where we don't have anything scheduled just yet, I think probably will overflow uh, into that month. um, Because Turns out the Bible has lots of interesting things to say about money. Jesus had lots of interesting things to say about money. And uh, unfortunately, many of those things are, in in my opinion, misinterpreted and misapplied and um, taught in a borderline abusive way. And so it's actually a chance to redeem some of that if if you'll join me in thinking of it that way. So um, we'll do two weeks here and then we'll probably, we'll definitely revisit it, probably be in June. Once I decided that, I was left with the question of what do I talk about in two weeks? If I have all these ideas that I'd like to kind of get to, which two do I pick for this week and next week? Since that's all the time we have right now, the the things that follow this are not um, flexible with their dates, so I couldn't just extend this. I tossed around a few ideas, but then it finally dawned on me that what we should talk about in these two weeks is something that I say about money almost every week at Artisan, when I pray for our offering. Those of you who are um, both astute enough to notice this kind of thing and, um, how should we say this, like present enough in the room (laughs) at 11.20 or 30 or 40 when we're finishing up, you might remember these two things that I say when I pray for our offering almost every time. The first is that I thank God for providing for us both in our households and as a church. And the second is that I ask that these offerings that people give would be blessed and multiplied and used for the good of bringing about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you recognize those words, have heard me pray those words in some version or another in the last couple of years? Um, that, That last phrase, by the way, on earth as it is in heaven, comes from the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed earlier. And uh, that's why we're praying the Lord's Prayer this week and next week, because I want that to be ringing in our ears. Um, So that's the outline of the series for these two weeks anyway. Today we're going to talk about um, God's providential care, and next week we'll talk about um, how our money should be used to bring about the goodness of God's kingdom in our world. That's where we're headed, Uh, and with those things in mind, I'd like to take just a moment and pray for our time this, this morning and next week. Uh, because this is a 
topic that's a little bit fraught and uncomfortable for some of us, and I, I don't want it to be like that. I, w- I want us to come to this fairly um, openly and cheerfully, if you will. So let's pause for prayer. God, we do thank you for the ways that you provide for us, and we do pray that uh, our offerings every week would be used for the good of bringing about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now we also pray that you would give us the ability to come to these topics uh, with an open mind and an open heart. Help us to let go of some of the baggage that we have talking about church and money and church and money and church and money and how those things have been intertwined in sometimes unhealthy ways in our minds. And uh, we pray that, there, that you would help us untangle that today and next week and whenever we get to revisit this topic in the summer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, today I want to take a look at a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. And uh, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to find that, you can. If you'd like to just listen, that's fine as well. Um, We are going to be looking at, starting with verse 25, which is uh, the first verse on page 787, or the last verse on 787 if you're using these red these red Bibles, which are scattered about the room. Okay, let me read this. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through, I think it's about 34. Starts out by saying, Therefore I tell you, and what do we have here? We have a problem. We have a, uh, what's the acronym here? The W-I-T-T-T-F problem, right? Rolls right off the tongue. Uh, If you've never heard this before, W-I-T-T-T-F stands for what is the therefore Therefore, uh, if you're reading scripture and uh, the phrase that you start with begins with the word therefore, that's a linguistic grammatical uh, cue that what's about to be said is tied to what was just said, and so it's not quite fair to start with therefore. Occasionally, I do break that rule. This is not one of those occasions. Um, I do want to go back and see where this idea starts. He's going to be talking about um, provision and money and 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 worry and a lot of things, and, and I think it's important to see the, the uh, foundation that he lays ahead of time, um, just very briefly. So uh, I would suggest that you, you could go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 6, where he talks about giving to the poor. Um, you could even go back farther, f- further in the text, because it's, it's all this one collection of teachings known as the Sermon on the Mount, um, and they, they do intertwine a little bit, but... You could go back as far as chapter 6. I think that at least we need to go back to, chapter, or to verse uh, 19 of chapter 6. And so here's what, um, here's what he says in 19. Uh, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal, And then he says this really powerful thing, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he says this thing about the eye being the lamp of the body and and so forth, and that doesn't look like it's about money, but if you think about the fact that the word healthy and unhealthy can have this uh, connotation in Greek as generous and stingy, it actually fits right there, but I want to jump ahead to verse 24 where he says a really powerful thing, which is that no one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, and we're into the passage for today. 
So it's, he starts with this treasures in heaven concept, right? Don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven, which obviously is the title of our series. Um, and for the best understanding of what that means, we would probably need to do a, a fairly in-depth word study about the word heaven and what that is. Um, the short version, though, is that I don't believe Jesus is talking about a land far away that we'll get to in the sweet by and by, heaven. Um, I don't think he means by heaven a place at all, actually, at least as we typically think of place. I think when Jesus refers to heaven here and in other places, he's basically referring to God's kingdom more broadly. So storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth, I think, simply means focusing your money on God's work in the world rather than on your own wants and needs. That's a very quick, brief um, summary of that. And then he does the you can't serve two masters thing about God and wealth. Uh, And then we're into today's teaching. And today's teaching is from 25 on. And this is, you'll see, where we get our title, which is Consider the Lilies this morning. Let me read to you now uh, 625 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what we will drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive after all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So this is not a very complicated passage, right? The message is fairly clear. Don't worry about your basic provisions. You can see that God's lesser creatures don't worry about these things, and you just need to trust that God will also take care of you, and in fact, will take care of you above and beyond that. It is a beautiful, rather poetic lesson. But on the face of it, it's not ultimately too difficult to understand. This is one of those rare occasions where you could print the words on the side of a coffee mug, and you would basically get the idea as you drank your coffee every morning. Amen. Let's pray. Pass the baskets. Give generously. Let's go home. Well, it is a simple message. But if you look closely, at least if I look, when I look closely, and think hard about it, there are two little, uh, what I like to call, peas under the mattress. 
right? Two little things in this passage that make it difficult for me to get comfortable on it. The first is that it seems pretty clear as I look around the world that there are people who don't seem to have their basic provisions. People for whom it would seem that God does not provide every basic need. We don't have to go very far to see this, by the way. I'm sure many of you saw this week that Rochester was named the number one um, most extreme poverty city of all the cities in America of a similar size. So Rochester has a higher percentage of people living on less than half the federally defined poverty line than any other city in America. By the way, for a family of four, that is a little less than $12,000 a year. So that's troubling. And the second is that thing about the Gentiles that Jesus said, right? I mean, we talk constantly. I I feel like we've said this every week for months now, something or other about how um, in Jesus, the door to God's salvation is thrown wide open and it's uh, all of us are welcomed in to God's family, even those of us who are not uh, biologically sons and daughters of Abraham, those of us who are Gentiles. That's a big, big theme of the New Testament, and we talk about it a lot here. And yet here's Jesus saying this uh, sounds fairly disparaging thing about Gentiles. They're the ones who worry about all this stuff. So those two little peas under the mattress make it hard for me to get totally settled with, with this um, Consider the Lilies passage. But with regard to the first one, um, the first thing I would say is this. Um, part of the way that we solve that problem of people apparently not being provided for is that we solve the problem, <laughs> right? In other words, the way that that can be made undone is for us to participate in what we see as God's vision for the world and making it a reality. All right, that's next week's lesson, right? as I said already. So part of us using what God has provided in our lives to bring about the goodness of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven means caring for the poor. That is part of what we need to be doing with our money. And um, I could take much longer and give you a more theological explanation for why I think it's so important for us to be involved in this. But what it boils down to is that I think God gives all of us significant, meaningful freedom. And that means we have the freedom to join him in the work that he wants done in the world, or we have the freedom to say, you know, I don't care. And because the freedom that we're given is meaningful and significant, our lack of participation in bringing about God's will means that God's will is not fully brought about yet, as much as it might otherwise be. All right? um, that particular thread of my theological overcoat, if you will, is um, important and significant, but I have to leave it at that for now. The other thing I would say about that concern um, that... God's provision does not seem to be uh, as widespread as we might like it to be, is that it's actually somewhat consistent with 
um, the tone of the rest of this teaching, or at least an undertone of what Jesus is saying. What I mean by that is that Jesus already, in what he's saying here, assumes that the world isn't perfect. Remember, he asks them, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Which is really quite a morbid question, if you stop and think about it, because he's implying that we all are going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) But that's true, isn't it? We all are going to die and there is nothing you can do about it. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to be clear that he's not promising that you'll never have a problem in this life as long as you trust God. Whatever this is about, it's not about a guarantee of constant financial security or well-being or fruitfulness. That's actually the TV preacher's message, isn't it? If you just give enough, you will receive a blessing in return. Um, And by the way, if you have any questions about where you should give, it starts with my name and ends with my name. That's That's the message of the televangelist. That's called the prosperity gospel. That if you don't have enough in this life, it's because you haven't given enough, probably to me or my ministry. That's the prosperity gospel preached by televangelists. That is not what Jesus is preaching in this passage. Whatever else he might be saying, it does not appear to me that he is saying, everything will be fine as long as you give enough. Uh, I realize that's somewhat unsatisfying. I'm going to come back to that next week. It probably will still be somewhat unsatisfying. I've never promised that I will give you an answer to every little challenge in the Scriptures and every big challenge in the Scriptures. Um, We try to address it together, do our best, and we live with the tension. But um, for now, I want to move on to that second concern, which is the the second P under the mattress, which is the thing about the Gentiles. Anybody else bothered by this a little bit? He says, it's the Gentiles who strive for all these things. Now, I don't think that he's making a racist statement here. He's not saying that Gentiles, because they're not Jewish, are genetically predisposed to get this wrong. I think all that he means is that it's the people who tend to worry the most about this are the people who don't know the one true God. They're people, it's not because they're outside of this, this biological family, except that being outside of this family makes them not understand what God does and wants to do in the world. He's saying, if you knew Yahweh, the the Hebrew name for God, the maker of the entire universe, you wouldn't worry so much. The reason the Gentiles worry so much is because they don't know Yahweh. Yahweh's people ought to know better. And what they... What we should be doing is not seeking food and drink and clothing, but seeking instead his kingdom and his righteousness. And then the promise is reiterated. All the other things will follow after that. So notice he's not saying that the key to unlocking the door to God's full provision is giving more. He's saying that the key to unlocking the door to God's full provision is seeking God's kingdom and righteousness first. Placing that 
concern above our own needs and wants. Anybody else have that song in your head? That real minor key camp song? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. (laughs) What a dreary song. (laughs) Man, those praise chorus writers in the 70s, they had no sense of... uh, (laughs) of artistic and musical tone. Like, can you make the text match this? Whatever. (laughs) So in a way, this teaching could be said to be as much about worry as it is about money. Now, for many of us, worry and money are the same topic, right? But they're not actually precisely the same all the time. Since that is true, since I think that Jesus' teaching here in uh, Matthew 6, 25-34 is actually more about worry generally than money specifically, I want to conclude by um, asking you to consider a simple question, which I will put on the screen for you here. This is the question I want you to ask about yourself. Does worrying about money cause me to be less generous? You don't have to raise your hand not going to ask you to write it on an info card. just want you to answer the question for yourself. Does worrying about money cause me to be less generous? Notice I did not say, does worrying about money cause me to give less to the church? <laughs> we do ask and expect that uh, particularly members of Artisan Church will give a generous and sacrificial portion of their income. That's part of what it says in our membership covenant agreement. But that is not what this is about right now. I simply want you to answer the question for yourself. Do I worry about money enough that it causes me to be less generous with my money? I'm going to give you 15 seconds of silence to think about that without me talking. I'll tell you right now, the answer for me is yes, absolutely. If you also answered yes to that question, I'm going to issue you a challenge. It's a simple challenge. I'm going to challenge you to give some money away this week. Or if you already give some, but you still answered yes to this question, I want to challenge you to give a little bit extra money away this week. And I'm going to ask you, just so that we can be completely above board here, specifically not to give money to Artisan Church in response to this exercise. Right? Uh, this is not a plot to increase our coffers. Okay? This is about uh, a spiritual reality in each one of us, which makes this connection between worry and money almost impossible to sever. So you can give money wherever you like. Um, we have some wonderful partners. If you want to give money to an organization that's doing great work in the city, might I suggest Northeast Area Development? We've done a lot of stuff with Need Rochester in the past year. Uh, if you want to do a global thing, may I suggest the Ugandan Water Project? We've worked with them a lot over the years. They're doing great stuff, um, making safe, healthy drinking water available to Ugandan citizens. Uh, if you want something that's really easy but may not have the uh, same... Um, immediate return (laughs) on investment, you could just give a dollar to the guy standing on the corner of 490. (laughs) 
when you're going to the highway, right? That's probably not the most efficient type of charity in the world, but it's not about where your money is going so much right now. That is certainly something you should be concerned with um, going forward. This is simply about you and me, because I'm going to do this too, trying to break this hold that, that there is on our, uh, on our spirits, on our demeanor related to money. So if you're realizing that worrying about money causes you to be less generous with your money, I'm going to ask you to try to just counteract that in one small gesture, which is to give some money away this week. And um, it can be anywhere, anywhere that you think is appropriate. So that challenge having been issued, let me invite you, first of all, to come back next week and hear the second half of this part of the series, which is about how our money should be used to bring about God's will and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the challenge contained in the teachings here of your son, Jesus. Um, Both the easy part to understand and the more difficult parts to understand. And we hope hope that you will help us to reconcile those things uh, today and in the coming week and as we continue to ponder these mysteries. Specifically today, I want to ask that you would help those of us who have found that worrying about money inhibits our generosity, that you would help us to, to break that cycle. That you would remind us that Everything begins with your provision for us. And that you would challenge us by the power of your spirit to give more, not because it unlocks some, some box and that that will make money flow back into our bank account. Quite the contrary, that you'd give us courage to do this so that we would know that the money that we have stored up in our bank accounts or our barns is not actually a sign that we are doing your will. We pray that those of us who give this week would, would have our hearts begun to be changed, that those organizations and individuals who receive the gift would be blessed by it, that those gifts would be used by the power of your Spirit to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that in all things, whether it's our money or our time or our emotional availability, that we would be generous and sacrificial people, offering ourselves as living sacrifices in the service of your kingdom. We pray these things through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you now to come and receive communion. This is Christ's great gift to you, the sacrifice of his own flesh and blood. This table is open to all who would seek to follow Jesus in this place, regardless of whether you're a member of our church or our denomination, or any church or denomination. You are a member of God's family by trusting Jesus, believing him, following him, and submitting yourself to him. If that describes you, this table is open for you. If not, you're still perfectly welcome to be here. We are glad that you're here. You might want to take this time to pause and reflect and think or meditate or pray.
And uh, if anybody would like to have personalized prayer, there'll be a member of the prayer team sitting here. They would be happy to pray with you this morning during our time of communion. We have a couple more songs to sing together. Um, So I ask you who are parents to go collect your children and uh, we'll continue to worship God together in community this morning. Uh, Respond to the call of the Spirit, whatever it might be on your life. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.